Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. Today I'm joined by Seth Grigg, Executive Director of the Idaho Association of Counties, to talk to me about a changing public defense system. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, happy to be here. So we can't talk about what's happening this session without talking about last session. Last year, the legislature passed a massive public defense overhaul that shifted the financial obligations of public defense from the counties to the state. At the time, it seemed like everyone was on board with this due to um, prior litigation. However, legislators have said this year that they were not aware that last year's deal didn't include the state taking over um, indigent defense and CPS cases. Child Protective Services, were the counties aware of this and what, what were your, their thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I think that's a great question. We, we were involved in the process of drafting the legislation last year. Um, we were aware that in the bill it was silent on the child protective cases and legal representation for uh, those children and their parents. Uh, we wanted it to be included in the bill, uh, but as, as the stakeholder group was working and navigating the bill itself and what language would be in there, uh, it was determined that the focus would be on you know, Sixth Amendment right to counsel as opposed to some of these other issues that, that counties were providing services for. And there was a commitment from you know, all those that, that were participating that you know, we would look at this issue uh, entering the, the legislative session that we're in right now. Um, and you know, we continue to have some conversations with, uh, with stakeholder groups about this particular piece. For my members, the, the counties, this was a priority for us going into the, the legislative session. We wanted to make sure that there was uh, clarification in statute that the, the state public defender's office was also responsible for these child protective proceedings as well. Um, because you know, when you look at, at the bill from last year that established this transition process, uh, when we were looking at what the overall costs of the system were at the county level, it was all inclusive of uh, you know, your traditional criminal defense, indigent criminal defense, but also these child protective proceedings. Uh, I think it's important to note that most CPS cases do not involve a criminal aspect, and so people, I think, forget that, but um, yeah, it's worth note. The policy bill has, does not have a hearing set yet. This would be Abby Lee's bill uh, regarding the implementation of it. Uh, what's the county's take on that? Do you have one yet? Yeah, so Senate Bill 1367 is, is something that we've been supportive of. I've had uh, conversations with Senator Lee about this, and it really sets the policy statement for, uh, for the state and for the state office of public defense that ultimately they are responsible for these CPS cases. <clears throat> uh, the, the, the bill that, that she has introduced also um, clarifies that uh, there's, there's a right to counsel for the guardian ad litem cases as well, which you know, we refer to as the CASA uh, cases. Um, and so that's the first time that there's been a statutory right for um, those, those guardian ad litem proceedings for there to be a, uh, an attorney appointed. Um, the way her bill is structured, uh, the, the state public defender has responsibility for the, the CPS cases and providing the, the defense work for, for those cases. Uh, and then with the guardian ad litem, the county uh, has responsibility to basically write the check to, to pay for the, the guardian ad litem expenses. But then the statute uh, makes it clear that the county then goes to the state public defender's office for reimbursement of those expenses. Um, and so you know it, it'll be funded by the state the county essentially is is working as, as the middleman, so to speak, and um, having some local uh, local input into into how that works. Uh, there is a shift in funding through this year's big school facilities tax. I don't know if you want to call it school facilities or tax bill, 
um, that kicks an extra $3 million over to the Indigent Defense Fund to support that. Um, do the counties believe that's going to be enough to cover? Uh, one of the one of the things that we've been trying to assess over the last few months is really what the true cost of this is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's some challenges in really arriving to that. I think what's important to note and, and what hasn't, I think, been really talked about a lot about this $3 million is that $3 million can be leveraged for more funding. Um, and so there's there's a, a federal funding source. Uh, it's, a, it's a 4E program that uh, allows... Uh, for the, in this case, the state to recoup up to 50% of their expenses related to certain child protective proceedings, right? Um, and so the estimate is that about 60% of the, the proceedings that, that we have in Idaho at the moment would be eligible for uh, this additional reimbursement from the state. And so the thought is that $3 million likely is going to be closer to four or four and a half million dollars by the time you put the federal match into it. When it's all said and done, what kind of a relief will this be to the counties in Idaho? Well, it's, it's going to be massive for uh, our members. Um, you know, it, it, it is uh, a significant cost to the counties to provide this service. Obviously, there's the, the, the budget implications and the funding side. Counties have already uh, reduced their budgets to take out, you know, the funds that were previously going to public defense. But just from an administrative and service standpoint, uh, if you get into the rural jurisdictions of the state, they have really struggled to find uh, contract attorneys and, and public defenders to come in and, and provide the service. And that, that's been a huge challenge for our folks. And so when you look at creating a state-based system that has statewide coverage, it really is going to you know, essentially take this, this system, this program to the next level and ensuring that there's adequate um, indigent defense around the state, in particular in our rural communities. Are there any lingering concerns around the public defense shift? Complications foreseen? Um, you know, we're working through, I think, those right now. There's another, uh, there's another piece of legislation that, that we're monitoring and, and have been involved in, and that's House Bill 593. And this relates to the transition. So we do have about 11 counties that have what we call institutional public defenders offices, where the county employs directly the, the public defenders. Those individuals, uh, the intent is for them to transition to uh, the state system and go from county employment to state employment. And obviously when you're taking uh, employees under a county personnel system and transitioning them into a state personnel system, there, there are going to be some misalignments. Right. And so what this bill uh, intends to do, House Bill 593, is it allows for um, those individuals to come into the state system based on their years of Percy service. So rather than coming into the state system and accruing uh, leave at, at essentially the ground floor level, floor level, they'll be able to come into the state system and accrue sick and vacation leave based off of, again, their years of Percy service. So they'll come in, if they've been at the county for 20 years, they'll come in as a state employee accruing uh, leave time at, at 20 years, which was important uh, because you know most people aren't gonna wanna transition from a higher accrual rate down to uh, the, the entry-level accrual rate. Um, the other thing that this particular bill does, it also allows them to transfer up to 40 hours of accrued leave over to their new state leave account um, so that they have at least a week's worth of leave built up in the event that they have a, a, an emergency at the beginning of their, uh, their tenure with the state that would require them to be 
out of the office for up to a week. Um, the other piece that we're monitoring uh, it, that also is related to the transition, um, you're going to have differences too but in, in compensation between the state, state system and the county system. Uh, obviously, if you're a, a public defender in Ada County or Blaine County or Kootenai County, uh, you're making uh, a different wage than if you're a public defender in Twin Falls County or Bonneville County or Canyon County. And so one of the things that we hope happens is that they'll also transition those wages over so that as employees come into the state system, they're not taking a pay cut uh, in, in some situations. I think it's also worth note that recently Judge Hoagland in uh, Ada County did make clear in a decision he dismissed the Tucker case, which is what instigated, um, I suppose, a lot of the change in public defense, but he made clear that the county can, or excuse me, the state can never go back to the county, and we were discussing that a, a little bit earlier. Um, I suppose that's probably a relief to your association. The state can never go back is what essentially he made clear. Uh, it is, and, and it was the right decision. I mean, if we're looking at transitioning right now from a county-based system to a state-based system, we need the opportunity for that, that system to transition and for it to, to be implemented and for it to succeed. And in order for that to happen, you know, you do have to have some, you know, some clear direction that you can't go back. And so um, for my membership, that decision was, was really, um, I, I'd say the final piece of this puzzle that down the road, if the state ever decides to alter the system that they have right now, they're going to have to alter you know, the system within the context of a, a state-based system as opposed to turning the system back over to, into something that was, uh, would be similar to what the counties have been providing over the last few years. Idaho Reports will keep an eye on those bills as they move forward, but Seth Grigg, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for Idaho Public Television comes from the School of Public Service at Boise State University, providing objective and impactful research for Idaho and beyond and academic programs with hands-on learning that equip students to be effective public service leaders.